Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffat, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. What's happening in this crazy world? I've lived in Richmond, Virginia since 2019. And in 2020, following the death of George Floyd in Minnesota, the monuments in Richmond that honored the Confederate generals became a focal point for BLM. Eventually, all the monuments were removed and have now been destroyed. This deconstruction of the past history of the United States has become normal within our society. I would argue in some ways the same things are taking place within Christendom. It's being deconstructed as well. In my lifetime, I have watched the historical touchstones of remembrance in Christianity being removed. Crosses, organs, pianos, pulpits, hymnals, and other visible expressions of our faith have all been removed in a very short period of time. As we all know, worship worship music hasn't received a past. The backbone of Christian worship was always, for hundreds of years, hymns. And they have been almost completely discarded by the church today. Today, we will not debate the merits of these changes. They are simply facts. In the late 1960s, contemporary Christian music, now referred to as CCM from this point forward, began to emerge and to be used in worship services. In the ensuing decades, CCM has become the dominant music force in the church. Hymns and hymnals are no longer present, having been replaced by choruses, and screens. I would argue that CCM today, however, has no resemblance to the pioneering Christian music of earlier days. Back when CCM was emerging, the older generations of Christians criticized it, which caused the so-called worship wars. CCM was accused of being worldly and toxic to our faith, but times have changed and CCM has become the accepted norm within the church. Regardless of where you stand in this debate, it's clear that Christian music is no longer anything like the old-fashioned gospel music people of my age were raised on. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is the Lord pleased with the current state of our music and ministries today? Is this truly worship of God? Is deconstruction really taking place within our society as it is in the larger secular culture? This is our 41st podcast of the book, and we have a giant from CCM with us. I would like to welcome Scott Wesley Brown to our podcast, where we will review his 1995 book that raised some questions about many things that occurred in the CCM world back then. His book, entitled Keeping the Gospel in Gospel Music, is, to be fair, a bit dated. Its target audience, I believe, was CCM artists and worship leaders within churches. Scott is a well-recognized, dare I say it, legend or a classic of CCM earlier days. Now, in his book, Scott warns against using such terminology about CCM artists. Therefore, instead of referring to Scott as a classic or a legend, we will just call him a dinosaur. (laughs) Oh, boy. 
Interview's like, over. I could tell like that Gary right and now. me, we are both dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings to my T-Rex friend, Scott Wesley Brown. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. My name is Scott Moffat. I'm the host of the book podcast, and I'm joined again today by my fellow podcasters, Gary Karawaski, retired pastor and guitar player, right. and our student, Gabriel Penfield, who currently attends Dallas Theological Seminary. I'd like to begin with the question I always start with, Scott, and that is, why did you write this book back in 1995, The Dark Ages? Um by the way, before I tell that story, I want to let you know I lived a couple of blocks off of Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, oh, when I well, went you to know. Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. So, uh, I, yeah, I, that's a sad thing to think about the deconstruction yeah. of our of our history, the, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Exactly. So, um, I I I wrote this book. Uh, I was living in Nashville. Um, my wife and I had been there for almost twenty years and had been involved in contemporary Christian music since, uh, oh gosh, maybe the early 70s. I started uh, after I left VCU, I went on the road and uh, we got married. And um, uh, after going through a, the record company route, um, which I had a lot of good of ex good experiences with that. I think that's how my, my name got out. And I thank the Lord for that. But but I started seeing things once I moved to Nashville uh, from Virginia, um, just how the industry was really becoming uh, um, something that we all served rather than serving the Lord. And when I was thinking that it might be healthier for us to leave Nashville, Tennessee and come somewhere else, uh, I thought I really wanted to put all my feelings down uh, in a book form. And uh, so I started working on this book. It took me, you know, almost a year to write it. Um, and, and as you said, it is dated in that it mentions some artists of that time or some issues of that time uh, that people might not even be familiar with now. And uh, but I think the 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 main premise of the book was to cry out. Um, to the industry, and I wasn't writing so much to the fans of uh, contemporary Christian music or gospel music, um, but I was writing, uh, you know, to the industry itself. Yeah. I had been involved with the Gospel Music Association and the Christian Artists Seminar, uh, all of these different um, conferences that took place. I would be, you know, asked to come and maybe teach on songwriting or or whatever. Uh, I never really was asked to do guitar workshops because <laughs> I think I kind of fudged my way through the guitar thing. But anyway, uh, oh. this was a book that came out of my heart. And uh, I actually have not looked at it for years. Um, <laughs> we, we just moved and I actually found a box maybe of a 20 copies of it sitting around. So I thought maybe I better keep this for some reason. <laughs> there you go. So that's that's the story in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a question for you. I guess the title kind of insinuates and kind of shows, hey, modern CCM has left the gospel in one way or another. Can you elaborate on that? How has CCM kind of gone away from the gospel, the substitutionary death of Jesus and what he's done for us and how he rose again? How how does that how does that work? Well, I actually heard the the I got the title from a from a black gospel artist, mm -hmm. 
And I don't know where it was, but I just remember him challenging all of us musicians. Guys, you got to keep the gospel in gospel music. Now, mm -hmm. I never I never called myself a gospel musician. That seemed like I was doing, you know, gospel, southern gospel type stuff. I was doing, you know, the hip contemporary Christian music thing. And, <laughs> and so but I like that that title. And I thought keeping the gospel in gospel music. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, that is one of the issues. Are we keeping the gospel itself? What is written on the pages of scripture? Are we keeping that in our music? Or are we trying so hard to cross over uh, and become, um, you know, well-known in the secular world? At that time, um, Amy Grant was, was crossing over. And, oh, yeah. uh, and that was the big issue. Everybody, there were a lot of groups that were saying she shouldn't do this. She needs to stay faithful. She needs to remain uh, faithful to the church and all of her songs need to be, um, you know, centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other people said, oh, no, this is great. We get our first artist out there who's really, really popular now on the radio. And that's mm -hmm. going to bring a whole lot of kids to her concerts who will hear the gospel in her concert and hopefully commit their life to Jesus. Um, yeah. and, and Amy, I think, did a good job. In, in representing Christ. I haven't agreed with all of her decisions along the line, but, you know, she was a good friend. Um, but that was the big controversial thing of, of that day. And a lot of groups wanted the crossover. And I, I think some of it, and I'll tell you the temptation, I was asked at one point if I would open up for Kenny Rogers and Ray mm -hmm. Stevens, who were big pop mm -hmm. artists at the time. And um, I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I could cross over and I could have this audience and maybe share the Lord and there would be this great, you know, coming to Christ kind of a thing. Um, and I did one concert with those guys and I immediately felt like I was a fish out of water. Oh, wow. It wow. didn't feel comfortable. I knew it wasn't my calling. <clears throat> and, and I'm glad I did it for that, for that reason, because it really showed me, no, I need to preach the gospel. And my manager at that time, um, had told me, please don't, you can sing your Christian music, just don't preach. And so I, I didn't know how to do that. I, maybe if I had done a lot of concerts, I would have figured out a way of, you know, contextualizing the, the message so it would fit in the context of a, of a secular concert. But yeah. I, only gave, I only gave it one try. And I just said, no, nah, this is not for me. Um, you know, uh, so I always really felt more of a teacher anyway. That was my real calling. And, and music yes. was a good excuse to teach. And um, Oh, my gosh. That so, comes out in your book. That comes clearly out in the book. Well, well I appreciate that because that was and it always has been my, my heart. As a matter of fact, a lot of the churches I've been on staff uh, with um, who still allowed me to travel but yet I was still on staff. Um, occasionally I would preach. And I actually think I enjoyed that more because <laughs> <laughs> I had my notes in front of me and I could do, you know, this syllabus, this outline. And I had these points I was going to make. And, uh, and I had these neat little stories I could share to support my message. And, you uh, and you can't, you can't do all that on a song. So I was much more fulfilled. <laughs> Probably um, not. In a teaching role. <laughs> But yeah. but anyway, this this book, yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I really wanted to share um, what at the time I had understood from Scripture, maybe where we were missing the point of 
gospel music, should we call ourselves gospel musicians or contemporary Christian artists? Um, and so that's kind of how that all came about. And I felt at the time, as I still do now, that artists were trying to somehow contextualize their music. And some of them had gone so far is the criticism was, uh, you know, that could be to a girl. It doesn't necessarily mm. sound like it's boyfriend. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, a yes, boyfriend yes. or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Now, today, Christian music, it might be to a boy or a girl, from a boy or a girl. I mean, it's we're all over the map. What's going we're on in between? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So um, that was kind of my heart at the time and still is. Yeah. Can mm -hmm. we get to that? Right. Hold on, Gary. Go ahead. If I hear you correctly, what you're saying, Scott, is that you are a singer songwriter who wanted to be a pastor. Now, most yes. most pastors, I've been told, want to be comedians. <laughs> Go well, ahead. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All righty. Um, let's go on to uh, the next thought here. Uh, obviously, the book was written at the end of the 20th century. We're now in smack dab in the 21st century. The first chapter, you compare uh, CCM in some ways to Tower of Babel, Babel, uh, we'd say. Um Let's talk about that a little bit. And do you think things have gotten better or worse now that we're in, we've got artists now in the 21st century and are pretty well attuned to who's out there now. I'm sure you are as well. Have we uh, improved, gotten better have, as the- That was the aim of the book. Yeah, it does the, yeah. Has the um, industry listened to your book? No, I, I think that uh, it's not that we've gotten worse. Uh, we've just gotten bigger. And there's more of it. And I think when I was thinking of the Tower of Babel um, was, you know, when it tells us in Genesis, he says, come, let us build for ourselves a city so that we yeah. can make a name for ourselves. So self-focused. And um, I think that a lot of artists, you know, we and I, I think we fooled ourselves and, and I think artists, they, I'm sure they do it today. I don't know that many contemporary artists today. I've met a couple, but but I'm sure that there are times that you sit around and you think about how can I make a name for myself? And we're supposed to be making a name for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think, well, how how can this festival uh, enhance my career? Or how can this uh, song, will, will this song shoot me out there a little bit more, project me out there to a bigger audience? And, and I know artists think like that. Uh, I can sense it because of the competition. Mm. Now, now, what's cool is I've been doing these um, concerts. Well, you, you said legends earlier, you know. I never saw myself as a legend. I think Daniel Boone was a legend, but uh, but I've been doing these concerts over the past six, eight, ten years called the Legends. Uh, it's this thing that they do up in Pens uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio area, and I've done some of these classic concerts. And every time, these are with our artists from our era. You know, guys like Wayne Watson and Steve Camp and Dallas Home and Michael Card's done and and and. Guys who were pr predominantly playing in the 70s, and the 80s, maybe the early 90s, uh, they're still out there occasionally. A lot of them have 
gone on to uh, jobs in the church, maybe worship pastors or senior pastors, or some, you know, some of them have stayed in the industry as publishers and things. But, but most of the guys that, that I've done these concerts with, um, there, there's no sense of competition because we kind of look at each other and say, you know what? It's over. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to get a You're big done. song. I'm not going to enhance my audience. I, I just should go out there and just sing for the Lord and bless God and try to bless his people. And we'll just have fun together. And after mm -hmm. the concert, we'll all go out and get pizza together. It's a whole different, a whole different thing, and it feels so releasing uh, and freeing uh, to be in that kind of a relationship. Whereas before, we, they would do these things in Nashville, or they do the Christian Artist Seminar out in Colorado, and you just kind of felt like, man, I've got to one up the guy before me. Oh my! I, I've got to be. I've got to shine, and and if I do, my record company is going to really be excited and proud, and maybe they'll push my album a little bit more, and blah blah mm -hmm. blah blah, all that stuff, and the radio stations that are out there listening to me. Um, I think we had that pressure, and I, I just think that's inevitable for all all the artists today. It's got to be. I mean, we still sin today. Mm -hmm. uh, sin is sin, and everybody's going to sin, and that's just part of our depravity and our fallen nature. So, did, just to say, has it gotten better or has it gotten worse? No, it's just gotten bigger mm -hmm. because the industry is far more bigger today than it was when I was out there full time. Understood. Okay. Thanks. Recently, I've been watching some podcasts you know since we produce a podcast we should watch podcasts by other people so i've been watching a brian um braggs have you ever heard of him brian who braggs no i've not okay he focuses on ccm and he um had Alyssa childers on there and he talked about the deconstruction of the faith about those who were in the faith and have now left it or modified it Do right you think you think that's taking place among some of the popular CCM artists today? And did that take place in your back on people who disappointed me after really loving them, like Ray Bolts? Um, you know, yeah, those are kind of experiences. What are your thoughts on that? That's Scott? a biggie. Yeah, there are there are guys that guys that I've known and loved for years, and uh, you know, I think when uh, uh, the emergent thing happened in the church mm -hmm. uh brian mclaren and all those guys rob bell i think right. that did a lot of damage it's not so sure. hip today I've, it's kind of morphed into something else but there are uh, some of my friends who got into that and uh even the interesting thing is brian mclaren who was one of the driving forces behind that we used to play together in a little group. He and his buddy backed me up at a couple of festivals one summer because I couldn't get a band together. So they said, well, we'll sing for you. And, and we were good friends. And, and I, you know, that was something that really shocked me when I saw his name and picture on the cover of this magazine. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then other artists who've gotten off into this uh, um, oneness Pentecostalism and, and, uh, this inclusivism, you know, the, the ugly twin tower of universalism, um, you know, and there, there are artists out there today that um, they've been called out for this. And, and particularly um, 
not only with theological issues, but other artists, um, you know, with the, the whole gay thing. And CCM is, is the industry is at first rejected them, but now is starting to endorse them. And then the number one song at one point, yeah, um, was by uh, a lesbian. And, um, you know, and this, I don't know what this flamey grant thing is all about, but I heard about the controversy recently at the Dove Awards in Nashville. Yep. I heard it too. Uh, it's just, and I don't know if that's just someone who's trying to make a mockery of the Christian music industry or to push us to, to the brink or what, uh, as I'm not as up on things as I used to be. Um, I'm going back and listening to artists that I, I liked when I was a teenager and stuff like that. <laughs> there you go. See? He's you listening know, to the Rolling Stones. The stuff we are comfortable no, with. No, I never, man. I never was a Stones fan. I never was. I but I love guys like, you know, and they're they they're probably as far away from the Lord as you can get. But guys like James Taylor or the oh, Eagles, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I, I just love that old music. And, you know, and I, I, I guess I'm like my parents. They they mm-hmm. went back, listened to all their music of the Second World War period, you yeah, know. Sure. Um, but yep. but but CCM, I just I'm not as familiar with a lot of stuff that's going on. Yeah, how do you back to kind of some of those musicians that have wandered a bit? How do you balance a musician who isn't maybe in the right place with God or maybe has wandered listening to some of their music? Because you can have a song, let's go back to hymns, for example. You have hymns written by artists that aren't exactly theologically correct or um, had their own issues and sin, whatever. Same thing today. Like there's songs by artists today that might not be right with God, but the music. Um, could be certain songs how do you yeah. find that balance is there do we go to one extreme or the other do we like what are your thoughts on that well i've had some churches ask me you know if it's okay do i have a problem with them using music that comes out of bethel mm-hmm. uh because bethel to me uh sure has its theological issues yeah. Along with Hillsong United Hillsong, and, and yeah. Elevation Church, there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, which, by the way, those three churches seem to drive the entire worship industry. Mm-hmm. So all of our churches are playing basically the same stuff. And it's coming out of what I would call churches that have stepped out of orthodoxy in one way or the other. And yeah. is that healthy? Uh, some Carrie Job, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the greatest songwriters and singers I've, I've heard in, in my life. Um, do I look at her songs and say, geez, this is a terrible song. No, she's got great songs. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, his father's a friend of mine. He used to be in the group, the way um, guy who wrote, uh, this is amazing grace. Um, yeah. Yeah. We know the song. I'm trying to think yeah. of the author. Yeah. Uh, you know, welcome. Yes. You know, he he writes great stuff and, you know, his music is tied into Bethel. Now, a couple of churches like that will buy catalogs. And and I've got to be careful because, you know, he comes out of a Calvary chapel. His dad was the worship leader out here when I was in San Diego of Maranatha over in Rancho Bernardo. And comes out of that. So I don't think his, his dad would say, hey, I'm, I'm into the Bethel thing. They're different, way different. Um, but so I don't think he would approve of his son being a part of that. But yet it could be that that Phil wrote the song 
And then the publishing company he was with got bought out by Bethel. And so sometimes that can happen. There are, there are companies that own some of my early music now that I think are incredibly heathen and horrible mm -hmm. companies, uh, way, way worse probably than Bethel. And I can't do a thing about it. Uh, yeah. it's in, in terms of their, their, their artistry or their songwriting, I think they put some great songs out there. Um, and I think just each church has to kind of feel it out and pray about it to see which ones they should use or if they should use any at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but I but I do think that there's some good writing going on. So I don't want to blast the artist and say, OK, get out of here. I just my my prayer is that the artist would come to a place where he goes, hey, this church is wacky. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty some silly theology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I, I don't I don't get into grave sucking. So I think I'm going to go to this other church down here that's got a little bit more solid theology. Yeah. 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 Good, I like that. Good answer. I like that very much. You, you know, as a worship leader, I the first thing I look for is the words. What What is it saying? You know, to me, that's me the, most, the most important. Sometimes. And I don't know if this is legal or not, but I've liked the song so much. But there were a few lines that are just theologically inaccurate i just rewrite them absolutely i just rewrite them and i use the song anyway yeah i do the same thing you know yeah. and and i've even had to do that on some of the hymns i thought this line just doesn't say what i think it should say and i've tried to change it and i don't do it out in public i don't record it like that if i do i did a hymns album a couple of them but but i would change it for church and if mm. i if I'm going to record it, I would probably change it as well. But I just avoided those songs. Mm -hmm. All right. What do you got, Scott? Oh, I thought you were going, Gary. No, I'm um, fine. That was in, it. In your book, you talk about idolatry as being an issue within CCM. How do you define idolatry? Um, is this and is is this a struggle for everybody within the church, not just? Um, Christian music artists, um, you focused a lot on, on idolatry and you know, you tied it back into Babel. So what are your thoughts on that today? Is that still a continuing problem? Well, uh, I think I think it is. I mean, and again, you're dealing with an, an industry that is driven by self-promotion and stardom and success driven careers. Um I don't know if the guy who works for IBM or the guy who works for Walmart mm -hmm. is making an idol out of what he's doing. He's just doing his job. But you're in if you're in a, the music industry and it's competitive, you have a tendency to start idolizing certain things. Maybe you idolize getting a Dove Award or, or maybe a Grammy even. Um, and I, I noticed it's interesting that a lot of artists, when they put their press releases out there, they list all of their awards. Mm -hmm. I think they do that because they, it, it, it's, it's kind of like their claim to fame. It's like, this is what makes me who I am. This defines me. I want a Grammy, you know? And so I used to put in all my press releases that I won four Grannies. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my granny liked it. Um, it's, it's sort of trips people up because I've actually had people in it. He's won four Grammys. And I go, no, Grammys. No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I think an idol for everybody has 
the idolatry. It's just a, a thing that we, again, in our fallen nature, we struggle with. It, it, it could be, you know, our football team that we root for. You know, it, it, it could be money or, you know, mm-hmm. our car or all those kinds of different things. Anything that, that demands our allegiance, mm-hmm. I think, can be an idol and that we devote ourselves to. Yeah, I, just to jump in here for a second, Gabe, um, I kind of had the thoughts that the hymn writers of old didn't have the struggles with what CCM artists do today. Um, they weren't out looking for Grammys. They weren't right. out looking for a contract with a recording studio. They weren't looking for fame. In fact, most of them didn't even get recognition during their lifetimes. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a huge difference between the hymn writers of of old and um, today's Christian music. Though, though we do have some great hymnists like Michael Card, uh, mm-hmm. and there are others. Um, so that that was a thought I had. Gabe, Gabe's got the next question. Yeah, um, more of kind of specified to each person. What is, I guess, how do I phrase this? What is a spirit of worship? How do we balance when we're worshiping emotion, truth? Like, should we be weeping every time we worship or if yes. we're not, not real worship? Or like, I think we yeah, are weeping and foaming at the mouth. That's there you go. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, but like what, chandeliers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what are your thoughts on like, how, how do we feel? How do we, where does that come from? Well, I think um, worship is, is uh, and I know this might sound real corny, mm. or canned, but I believe that worship is all of our life, um, that ni- 98% of our worship happens once we walk out the church doors into the world. Uh, it's, it's how we treat our families. It's how we love our neighbors. It's how we minister to people in need. All of those things. Um, you know, in, in, in the actual context of the worship service, um, I think all of us are going to have a different experience. Some people mm-hmm. cry. Some people lift their hands in adoration. Some people kneel. Some people just stand there. And, and you know, and you can't judge them and say, well, gosh, these people don't look like they're really worshiping. They're not doing anything. We, we don't know what's going on internally in their hearts. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time I was doing a concert and God used this to teach me a valuable lesson. And all these people were clapping and laughing and they were really, you know, going with the flow of the concert. stuff. But there was one lady and man, she sat right there in the middle of the front row. And all she did was stare at me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this lady hates me. This lady, (laughs) she is just, she's so aggravating. And why is she? And I couldn't take my eyes off. And it really was hard to maintain my, my, (laughs) my attention to what I was doing, because I thought this lady was just terrible. And, and so at the end of the concert, I was out at my, I think it was back in the days of cassettes and I was signing some cassettes and there were, a bunch of people in line and stuff. And I noticed she came over and got in the back of the line and Mm -hmm. I thought, Oh no. And she finally got up to me and I thought here, it's going to come. She's going to tear me apart. And she looked at me. I think she even grabbed my hand and she said, you know, I was so touched tonight. God stirred my heart and spoke to me. And, and, you know, I realized 
what an idiot I am. <laughs> you know, just here the, the whole time I'm making this external judgment of her because she's not moving or she's not laughing. She's not clapping. She's not singing and how wrong I was. And she, she was being touched and that's the way she responded. And I think when you talk about worship being a spirit and truth, yep. you know, it has nothing to do about our physical, you know, bodies and the way we do all of this stuff, you know, yeah. uh, everybody's different. So I don't know. I think in my church today, I can see people with their hands raised. I can see people just standing there. Some people have their heads bowed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, if their hearts are connected to Christ, yeah. you know, if they're not standing there thinking about where they're going to go for lunch, you know, that they're focused on the Lord and wanting to bring him honor and adoration, that's worship. And then when they walk out the door, the other 98% of it happens. Yep. Yeah, it's sitting down, standing up, eyes open, eyes closed. Like right. different people worship in different ways. And what you said earlier, like worships your whole life. Um, yeah. I had a worship leader at Word of Life who always went back to Abraham and Isaac. Abraham mm -hmm. and Isaac go up on the mountain. Abraham has the has the knife. Isaac's got the wood. And it says they go up to worship. The worship. And they don't have a guitar. They're not <laughs> going up to sing, right? They're He's going to sacrifice his son. And yet they're going up to worship because... Life is worship. It's all worship. It is. So, yeah. Amen. Gary? Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about musicians' talents and abilities. Where do they come from? Uh, are they just natural abilities uh, that we pick up, that you pick up? Are there, are there a supernatural component? Are these gifts from God? Uh, is it a combination? I think our folks would be interested in hearing about some, something like that. Are the talents and abilities that CCM artists have, let's say. Yeah, well, I think there there are gifts, special giftings that people have, um, you know, and, and that's even in common grace. There are Elton John was talented. The Beatles were talented, but they didn't minister. At least I don't think they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, so in God's common grace, there, there are giftings that people receive. Beethoven, you know, Bach mm. uh, gifted, you know, and, and great painters, Picasso and and Leonardo da Vinci, they had that gift of, of, of creativity. Uh, and I think in the body of Christ, um, we're given these gifts. And I think that it doesn't mean that you have to use it in a, in a, in a ministry in, in a professional sense. There's some people that just paint for their enjoyment and for the glory of God. Uh, you know, it's like um, the guy in Chariots of Fire uh, he when he would run the race, he would just say, "I when I run, I feel his glory, or I have something like that." His pleasure, yeah, I think his pleasure, his yeah. pleasure. And I think you know that we can feel that pleasure. That's something that I want to feel, uh, just the pleasure of doing it. I've got you know twenty five albums out there, but probably enough for fifty albums. The, all those other songs that will never see, um, you know, a recording studio or songs that I wrote to the Lord or I wrote to my wife or to my kids, or I just made a melody in my heart. And, and so um, I feel like God has gifted some to take the next step and to be able to take that out to people and to use it to bless them. Um, you know, it's kind of like not everybody can, uh, can write a song or sing a song or play a song, 
Um, and it's kind of like the, the guys who would come to the temple to, and they, they'd buy a sacrifice. They had, they didn't have, they couldn't go out and get it themselves. So the guys who were selling the, the sacrificial animals would, would do that for, they would say, here, here, you buy this. And, and, and I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it was kind of like, uh, they had the means to get these animals. The other people didn't, they sold them to them so that then they could go make a sacrifice. And our songs are kind of like that. A guy can't write a song. And, and so he gets it from us, whether he hears it on the radio or on mm-hmm. online or YouTube, or he goes to a concert or he hears it in a church service. And he could take that song in his heart and he can sing it at home. And he can sing it in his devotions or hum it in his car while he's driving. And that becomes his offering to the Lord. And that's one of the cool things about music is I think music uh, can travel like that. It's not like you can drive down the highway and look at a painting, but you can drive down the freeway in your car and sing a song and worship the Lord and also feel that pleasure yourself. I don't know if that makes sense, but perfect. It's kind of the way I'm thinking. Great. You talk about you talk about the difference in callings for Christians, and you talk about natural abilities versus supernatural abilities. And then in one place in your book, you talk about the hearts must be stirred. Uh, and the, the artist, well, can you be a good singer, a talented singer, and not be gifted by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes that he wants through your ministry? Can it be just be based totally on your natural abilities rather than your calling and gifting from the Spirit of God? And how do you define, how do you decipher between those? Well, Any I mean, thoughts? I'm sure. There are some people that have beautiful voices and they're just content uh, to sing in the church choir. They're not trying to get a record deal. They're just wanting to serve the church. Uh, Others who just sing to their kids and they've got beautiful voices and they're not interested in uh, standing up and presenting that song or performing it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot. Now, there are a lot of people by the same token that don't have good voices and they're trying to get a record contract. There's the other side of that whole scenario, too. And, you know, which I think God equips us and he gives us the tools, um, you know, to be able to minister through music. And um, and everybody appreciates when someone really, you know, when you hear someone who's got a great voice, you know, like Steve Green. I mean, Steve Green has got a, a wonderful voice uh, in, in his genre of music. It's inspirational. It's smooth. Uh, very, uh, you know, uplifting. Um, he's definitely got an incredible voice. There might be some guy, and I've heard people take the tracks of, it, like, I'm go, I'm talking in my day of, of Steve Green or or Sandy Patty, and they would get up in church and try to sing one of those songs, and I just wanted to cry. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So anyway, but they but they can be sincere in their heart. And I've noticed the difference as a pastor between the clapping for music or the amens after somebody finishes, you know, yeah. and if they, if they weren't that good of a technician, if they weren't that good of a singer, the amens and the clappings kind of diminished. Yeah. So how, how should we react to a person's in gifting and calling and using of their spiritual gifts rather than what we would interpret as being um, satisfying to our ears? Does that make sense? 
Uh, no, no, I, I think it does. It, it, you know, I, I don't make sense think, a lot. I, I think that, you know, there, because I've dealt with so many, uh, for example, um, at the Christian uh, Artist Seminar in the Rockies, Colorado, every summer. It went for 20-some years. And for most of those 20 years, I did a songwriting class. And part of that songwriting class was to critique songs. I would have people submit songs to me. And some of them gave me a cassette. And some of them just played right there, grabbed their guitar and just sang it. We were in a cabin on the side of a hill. And it was beautiful out there. And some of the songs were just absolutely wretched. I mean, they were so terrible. But I felt like this is someone who's trying to express their faith. And I'm not going to shoot that down. Uh, they're trying to, to create something that will bring pleasure to God and glory to God. And it may not be a song that, you know, the next famous artist is going to record Um uh, nobody may record it, but it, it it just was something that they were bringing to the offering. And I felt like my job, instead of really pounding on them, I would give them a few tips. Okay, I would change your second verse. I would do this. Uh, I would change your key because it's too high for your voice. I would do, and I would give them all these different critiques on on songwriting. Um, and But I really wanted to encourage them. So I would always look for something in the song that was redeemable. Mm -hmm. and, I would, and I would pray, God, as they would start in the song, I'd say, God, let me find something redeemable mm -hmm. about this song. You're a nice and, guy. <laughs> and it, well, I found that all of the song, and I'm not boasting, but all of the classes on songwriting, you know, they had all these people. I found that all the people were starting to come to my class. Mm. And every week I would have maybe a hundred to 150 songs that oh, I would nice. critique. Oh, wow. And I would stay there for hours and hours and hours oh, just trying nice. to get through people's songs because I would tell them something that I thought was redeemable. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this one girl wrote a song about this Indian tribe that had been wiped out. And, and it was such a, a, a wrong thing that the U S government did to this Indian tribe. And I remember when she sang it, people in the class started laughing and I stopped. I said, Hey, listen, don't laugh at this. I mean, it was a horrible song. It didn't rhyme. It didn't have any sense of rhythm or meter or anything. And I said, this is a tragic event in history and we need to owe up to it. And this gal has stepped out and she's been brave enough to write a song oh, about man. this tragic event and to say hey this was wrong you know and and so i'll never forget that and uh, she came up to me in tears after it was over and she said you're the only one who's ever said anything good about mm -hmm. anything that i've written and mm -hmm. i thought you know isn't that what we're to do encourage one another doesn't it say that where is that scripture <laughs> encourage one another you know and, and so i felt like that was my job and, and if somebody sings in church um, they sing a solo and it's not very good. I still try to get up there at the end of the service and say, Hey, thanks. Thanks for that song you sang, man. I was really stirred and God reminded me, you know, it's just like when we preach, you know, if, exactly. if after the sermon you get down and you stand there and everybody walks out the back door and you think, well, did that, did that connect or was it good? So I always yeah. try to say to the pastors, man, that was great. I, I liked what you said or, 
boy, this really stirred my thinking to, to think about this. We need that too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. physicians do too. Howard Hendricks used to call that the glorification of the worm. When yeah, people would come out and shake the hands of, people, yeah. of the pastor and say, hey, that was really great. And they're thinking, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's just, we all need our ego stroke to some extent. Yes. I mean, we're human. Um, yeah. I'm going to move down a little bit to this aspect of accountability. Uh, should uh, Christian artists be accountable to, let's say, a church or elders? or their pastor, or, or maybe some kind of a board of directors, um, would it be a helpful thing for particularly Christian artists, which is what we're talking about, to have some kind of accountability to some group, church, organization, whatever, rather than, you know, a, uh, a label or, you know, whatever? Yes, yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Excellent. That's thank you for those answers. <laughs> I, I knew that would be the case. <laughs> I know I do. I mean, I just always needed someone to know where I was, and that's one of the reasons I was on staff at several different churches because I didn't want to be alone in what I was doing. And when you're a solo artist traveling by yourself or just with your wife and your kids, you you need people back home to know where you are and to pray for you. I remember one time up in, in Oregon, um, I had this Satanist priest confront me and they had turned the lights off, which made it even more eerie. Mm. And this girl was just so frightening. And she told me that there were some Satanists who'd come to the concert because it was one of those open things to the public. And they were in the back of the auditorium walking back and forth and they were praying against me. And she said, I'm telling you, they want to kill you. Well, that scared the daylights out of me. And the first thing I did was I called back to our associate pastor in Nashville. And I said, hey, Mike, you know, I don't want to seem overboard and, you know, overreactive to this, but this is concerning me. It's scary. And he immediately prayed with me over the phone. He sent it out along our prayer line at church, and all these people were praying for me. Uh, praise God, nothing ever happened. But I had a group of people I could call, and, and I could ask them to help me and pray for me on this. Uh, other times I've needed advice. Uh, I will say when, when I was in Nashville, our church, we had about 40 major Christian artists, not that they were more important, but they were just more well-known, um, who attended that church. And many of us would take our lyrics when we would write a song and we'd take them to the senior pastor, Scotty Smith, and say, hey, what do you think? Am I off on this? Am I pushing it? Is this, is this word too crazy? Or, you know, all of that stuff. And he would read through them and look at it and say, yeah, this is great. Or, you know, I would change this. You know, it's just like have somebody read your book before you release it. You know, I had four or five guys read this book. Now, not everybody agreed with everything I said, but they said, I think you're okay. Um, and I think that's important uh, to have that as well as to have the spiritual support, um, you know, and also uh, the discipline that you might need if you get way off track, that they're going to say, hey, buddy, you know, that's that's not cool what you did or you know, and I just think accountability is is something we all need 
Um, um, and for a lot of musicians, and we started trying to do that in Nashville. Unfortunately, it never did. The, the, when I left the church, there was still a group of people that were trying to do that. We had uh, this thing called the Nash, Nashville Christian Musicians Fellowship, and we were trying to build an accountability for artists. Uh, and to be a community of people that would pray and support them. Because most artists are just out there. They're just going as hard as they can. You know, and you've got a booking agent. He's sending you to 50 different places and you're, you know, you're all, all over the map. But that for me was good. I had not only the church and I was an elder at the church. So it helped too having my fellow elders, but, but also having that fellowship of, of other musicians because they understood it. And they would say, hey, I wouldn't do that or. You know, I think you're being kind of risky trying to do this or say that. So, yeah, I think it's incredibly important to have accountability. You know, you know, Paul had, you know, Timothy and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. Accountability is key. Um, Secular artists will define success as how many subscribers do I have? How many followers do I have? How many records have I sold? How many albums? have I made? Um, mm-hmm. And the more they have, the more popular they are. Taylor Swift just surpassed a billion dollars. She's a billionaire. Um, she has a ton and ton of followers. The world would call her successful. What is the mark of success for a Christian artist? How would you define that mark of success in God's eyes versus the world's eyes? Well, obviously in God's eyes that you remain faithful to him. Um, that he remains your focus, um, that everything, your your whole hermeneutic is Christ. Your whole passion is Christ. Um, every concert, every song, um, everything that you do is, is Christ. It's all focused on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's something that I've always prayed for. I haven't always been in that place. Or I've been in it and fallen out of it or been in it again. And, you know, it's just a, a long and winding road. Yeah. Uh, but I would I would say for me, that would be the the success. I mean, I, I don't know how many records I've sold. And to tell you the truth, I don't want to know mm-hmm. because I would be disappointed. Because you could always sell more. Yeah, based yeah. on your response there, you wrote in the book on page 76 that you were surprised that the songwriters of that time were, were writing lyrics as college graduates at a sixth grade level, both theologically and academically. Yeah. I find today that most of the songs that I hear in churches are not Christ-centered. They're not focused on the victory that we have in Jesus Christ of overcoming sin, death, and the grave. They're more focused on self. They're more focused on me and I. Do you mm-hmm. sense? Do you sense that same thing? And how do we get them to to turn more towards worshiping the Almighty and giving Him the uh, glory that He is due, and not focus on ourselves? Well, one of the things I would say is probably because they're not being taught about God in church. And if the three main sources are these churches that we just mentioned a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not hearing the gospel. They're hearing some weirdo, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, and I think that they don't know God enough to be able to declare 
his glories. And now I know they're a young artist and they're not going to write great phenomenal songs like mighty fortresses are God or mm-hmm. these great songs or the, or like, I think the Gettys are great writers and they really, you can yes. see the theology yes. in the okay. Gettys, the Stork Townend, the Graham Kendrick. Um, some of these songs are coming out are just really great. Um, and occasionally I hear some good songs uh, that have some good theological depth to them, but if they're not being fed that, um, uh, there's no way that they're going to be able to share that. If they don't know it, they're not going to communicate it. So what they do is they take some uh, trite things and they make them rhyme and they add a good groove and it becomes a big successful Christian song. Uh, um, I'm getting a call in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, so that's that, that would be my, my answer is this. You're going to... Uh, you know, you're going to overflow with what's being poured into you. And if they're not getting the gospel right at church, they're not going to get it right in their music. Or if they're not getting the depth and the riches and the fullness of it in church, that they're not going to, they're not going to be able to, to uh, communicate that in their music. So that, that's why you kind of got gospel light mm-hmm. and it's, you know, happy clappy music kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that of everyone. Right. And uh, but but I've sensed it. I mean, I, I would say in our church, um, I always lean over to my wife and I just say this song is a waste. Mm. Uh, it really feels like it, you know, and uh, if I were critiquing them, I would try to find something redeeming in it. But sometimes it's just a waste, but yet it's popular. Uh, and I'm always waiting for they usually do at least one hymn and one song that's sort of like the Gettys or, or the Gettys at church. I go, okay, now there's a, there's a song I can hang my hat on. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, I've done a lot of Getty songs. Um, Casting Crowns, I've used a lot of yes. their, their songs. I've been always a big fan of uh, Petra from way, way back and even Kurt. Yeah. Moore. Uh, I thought Bob Hartman wrote some tremendous songs besides being an outstanding guitarist, but very the, the theological depth to them. Songs about blood, the blood of Christ. I mean, it's just album after album. I think I bought everything they ever had. So yeah, and Bob, I know Bob. Um, as a matter of fact, his wife was our secretary at, at the agency that booked me, and I've known him for years. And yes, the Bob is a, is a theologian. Yeah, and he really helped fill that music with the depth of the gospel uh, while he was involved with Petra. Um, yeah, and I just think there need to be more guys that are theologians. I mean, that's, you know, Michael Card is an example yes. of that. Yes. Mike's a real dear friend. of I've known Mike since, gosh, he was almost a teenager when I knew him, met him. Oh. And Mike has just always had a heart for God and for his for his word and, and for being able to take the gospel and, and put it into a song and teach that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just... I wish, and I don't know, again, I don't know enough of all the artists out there. I don't listen to the Christian radio stations uh, that much. Um, uh, but in, in churches, and a lot of times when I go to sing at a church, the, the praise team opens up and before I sing or I preach or whatever. And, uh, and that's where I, I catch most of what's going on today. Just so you know, um, I had talked to, Michael Card 
and he was supposed to join us tonight, but he got back from a 13-day trip and was sick. So we missed yeah. him this evening. I was going to surprise you with his visitation to us, but he wasn't able to be oh, here. Oh, that would have been of, nice. Because yeah. of his illness. <laughs> um, we, we need to close it here because it's uh, 110 is what I have on our ticker. So I want to thank you. We have a lot more questions that we could oh, ask. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But uh, time is of the essence. And we want to give you an opportunity if you'd like to promote anything in the future and gabe's got his hand raised i see that hand yeah i have michael card asking to enter oh okay have him join us <laughs> there you go look at the we may not be so bad you, if you can't see me <laughs> yeah. yeah we can hear oh, here you we go. here we go watch this watch this oh there we go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you well, want me to welcome. turn it off you want me to turn it off <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no it's fine no it's good you're good you're good Scott, say hello to Michael. Hey, hello, buddy. Scott. Hey. <laughs> I was, okay, here, I don't know if you can see a picture, but can you guys see this? You remember that, Mike? I, oh, ick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ick. Well, we oh. just had an hour's discussion uh, about Scott's book on CCM and where it was in 1995. We were... Wondering if you had had you read Scott's book? Uh, if I have, I don't remember. I mean, oh, I read thanks. so many books. I read so many books. Did you send it to me? No, I probably didn't. Yeah, I think, no, I don't think I, I don't think I read it. No, you did because you 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 left a um, an endorsement on the back of it. That's true. Oh, I did. Is well, that, I did because yeah. I I don't I won't uh, endorse them if I hadn't read them. I it's just says, I don't I don't remember. I'm sure it was. Says, great oh yeah, there it is. No, it says this book sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always try to be honest. Along with John Schlitt, John Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, buddy. How how are you? Where where were you? Who me? Yeah. Did you just get back from a big trip? I just I just drove fourteen hours from Minneapolis. Oh. Um, straight. I left at ten at night. Drove all night. Oh. Got it home at four. Oh, and I'm sick. I, I got a cold from it. Oh, I'm just, I did too much. Oh, bless your heart. You're not as yeah. young as most of us anymore. No, I can't no. do it anymore. I've got one more concert <laughs> and then I'm retired. I wanted to ask I, you guys a question. As long as you're both, all of us have been to Israel, I believe. Scott, you've been to Israel? No, I actually oh, haven't. You should. Oh, go. man, you got to go. You yeah. got to go. Gary and I have been there numerous times, and Gabe has <laughs> been there. And I know, Mike, you uh, have a teaching tour where you go through yeah those i've been year. there i've been there 17 times right. uh, only five for me so yeah. i know this is kind of out of the blue but what are your thoughts about what's taking place now in israel between hamas and uh the state Ooh. of israel any thoughts well i mean that's that's an ongoing thing i've got all kinds yeah. of pictures on my phone of israelis walking around you know couples out on dates and the girl has her m16 Yep. strapped to her, you know, strapped <laughs> yep. to her. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, they, they live with that all the time. So I don't, I don't think it was a, it was a huge, uh, I mean, it was a huge thing. So many people got killed, but mm -hmm. uh, it, they didn't surprise anybody. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're surrounded by countries that have, have, have you know, are, are dedicated to annihilating them. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. But they call, uh, they call Israel, uh, they compare them to South Africa as no. a yeah. yes they do um as some kind of a tyrannical state yeah, yeah the that's, palestinians that's or, crazy that's it, ridiculous that's not been my experience when i was there 
No, you go to Israel and they're they're Arabs and they're you know they're Muslims and there's all everybody's there and everybody sort of is is uh, more than tolerated. You know, accommod uh, a, a, a they make accommodations for everybody. And then you you go outside of it. There there aren't any Jews living in those Muslim countries. Trust me. Mm-hmm. No, right. no, absolutely. Yeah, not. There, there's uh, no Jews in Gaza. No, but twenty percent no. of the population in Israel is Arab, is Palestinian. Right. Right. Yeah. So I was so I was wondering, um, Mike, did you want to invite Scott along with you on his next trip to on your next trip to Israel? You no, should. I'm, yeah, I'm done. Should. I'm retired. I, if I would take Scott, I would let him, uh, you know, let him uh, like lecture and I would just uh, drive the bus. Oh, you're not doing <laughs> that anymore? No, I'm done. I'm 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 vac- I'm uh, uh, retiring this year. I'm done. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, well, I was, was going to invite go you, Mike. I was going to invite you to go with me on my next tour of Bermuda. <laughs> I didn't know if that was. <laughs> I'll go. Oh my word! It's breaking down. It's breaking down. Hey, Mike, what's on your uh, shirt? It looks it looks a little bit like Hebrew, but it's not. Oh, this if if Jesus were to write his name, oh, this is what it would look like. Okay, that's Yeshua in ancient uh, Hebrew script. Yeah, so huh? if if, if Jesus wrote little... his name, that's what it would look like. That's Yeshua. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Well, we want to thank you both for visiting with us today. And we want to thank Scott for writing a book. And hopefully he's going to update it, revi- revise it. Oh, that would be awesome. Is that okay, the- Scott, to say that? Is that uh, something you might do? Um, I'm going to pray about it. You kind of stirred the pot here. <laughs> very good. Very good. And is there anything you want to promote, uh, either uh, you or Mike, uh, before we close our time together? Well, I want to promote all of Mike's books. You can't go wrong <laughs> reading them. We've They're done a book or two of his. I wonderful books. Yeah. And I'm like Mike. I've retired, too. i just going to do an occasional concert here or there, mostly for causes to raise money for organizations, missions. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have anything to promote anymore. I just want to promote Jesus. And I know that sounds yeah. corny, but that's really what I want to do. No, it doesn't sound corny. It sounds awesome. Yeah. You're still pretty young, though, Mike, aren't you? Like 65, 66? Me? I'm 66, but I'm a high mileage 66. My odometer has rolled over several times. (laughs) (laughs) And Scott knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know that. Yeah. A lot of time on the road. Yeah. Well, hey, give my love to Susan. I will. I will. From Belinda and me. I will. I will. God bless you. I want to you thank too. you both for appearing with us. God bless you both. Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Yep. Okay. Father, we thank you for these two men who have been giants in our lives, singing the praises of our Savior and our Lord. We just pray, Lord, for them, for the blessings of retirement. And Lord, keep using them in ministry despite mm-hmm. their protestations of quitting. Help them, Lord, to find mm-hmm. places to be active and to be used and to uh, bless others with their knowledge, their gifting. Mm-hmm. And we're just so thankful for them in our lives. I thank mm-hmm. you for Gabe, and I pray for him, Lord, as the young youngster here, that you would use him in the future and use the uh, great insight that he's received from these men, Lord, to um, be a powerful man of God for you in the future. We yeah. thank you so much for their visiting with us. And may you bless each of us, Lord, as we remain faithful to you and continue on till the end. It's in mm-hmm. that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you, yeah. Mike. Thank you, Scott. Well, thanks. I don't feel like I contributed most of the party. 
<laughs> well, oh, great. We, we've been here for an hour, so. Oh, um, well, I, my my thing says to log on at five. Yeah, I know that. I got that oh, stuff. That's yeah. for your time. Uh, ah, uh, so my, my, my mistake. I'm I'm terribly sorry. But can we call you back and do another one of your books? Sure. All right, we'll do that. Let's do it. God bless you. I love both okay, of you guys. guys. You had great ministry to my life. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Book Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, like, follow, subscribe on any podcasting platform, on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Simply type in at Hear the Book Pod, at Hear the Book Pod. Thank you. See you next time.